Now we're going to prepare now for uh, Artie Kendall's going to be ministering very shortly, reading from 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11, New International Version. Uh, you may remember this is the text from last week, but a fresh perspective. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and Fafa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Let's welcome our tea. The sovereign grace of God is what changes a life. And a changed life will issue in sheer gratitude to him. So Naaman could say, now I know that there is no God in all the world but in Israel. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to fall upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Enable me to be very, very clear, very simple. Let this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We continue in this story of Naaman, who was a leper, uh, who was miraculously healed, and what we see in this as we saw a little bit last time, but we want to unfold it more. What happens when you climb down? The wonderful benefits of climbing down when you realize you were wrong. Hardest thing in the world is to see that you were wrong. And then after that, to admit it, climb down. Self-righteousness, is the hardest thing in the world to see in yourself. We almost never, ever see that we're self-righteous. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so what we have here is a situation that shows how the grace of God is there to heal people in need and who are in pain. But a big point that I want to make today, and I do hope that I can get this over in a way that you will not forget it. And that is 
the sovereignty of God. If someone were to ask you, what does it mean, the sovereignty of God? Could you tell them? Do you think you could spell it out in a word? Do you know what it means, that God is sovereign? Well, I want us to see what that is. If you had to choose one verse in the Bible, there are more, there are dozens, but if you had to choose one, what would you choose? Well, I can tell you what I would choose. It's Romans 9:15, quoting Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Well, now let me remind you that Elisha was unimpressed with the entourage of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general. He had probably a hundred soldiers with him on horses, and that's a pretty impressive sight. And Naaman, being a general, assumes that he's going to get respected. He, this is what he lives with. He doesn't expect anything else. Everyone just bows and scrapes if somebody like Naaman, general of the Syrian army, shows up. And so now he comes to the house of Elisha. He's been directed to go there. He was told that Elisha would heal him of his leprosy. Well, you can understand how Naaman would feel. Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. Doesn't invite him in, have a cup of tea, tell me more about your problem. Do you know what he does? He sends his servant. Elisha sends his servant to Naaman, doesn't meet him, and said, go into the river Jordan, dip seven times, and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Well, <laughs> Naaman was infuriated. First, he doesn't even want to meet me. And second, has me to do something that is so ridiculous. Well, the result was, he had run into a man, Elisha, man of God, who is no respecter of persons. Uh, you may not like this about God, uh, but, but he's no respecter of persons. I don't know how many are here today. Uh, gentry bred, aristocratic, or in the world you live in, people just bow and scrape to you, and you transfer that to God, and you think that He's going to look at you and say, oh, how lucky I am that you would pray to me. Oh, do you feel that way, that God sees you like that? You see, what we see here in Elisha, he's not impressed, but it does give him a word. And he's so angry, he left in a rage, and, and he decided just to go on back to Syria. But his own servant said, but master, what if the prophet had told you to do something big? You would have done it. Like some of that money you brought, hundreds of pounds of gold and silver, uh, build a hospital, start an orphanage, do something to improve conditions, you would have done that. And he's only asking you to dip in the River Jordan seven times. Well, 
Naaman climbed down. It wasn't easy for him to do. Could it be? There's someone here today. You need to climb down. You're angry. You've been unvindicated. You've said, I will never admit I was wrong. I will never climb down. Be very careful. It may be the only thing you can do next. Maybe you had a fight with someone today, verbal, and you're determined you will never admit you were in the wrong. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had to climb down uh, with your wife? Well, that's not fun, is it? With your husband? Little secret if you promise not to tell anybody. I've had to climb down a lot. A lot more than I would want you to know. And sometimes I have to do it with Louise. As a matter of fact, I will tell you one occasion. Some years ago, it was a Saturday morning. I'm the minister of Westminster Chapel. These are the days before we started our pilot lights. And uh, I was in a state of anxiety because I always started my Sunday morning preparation on Monday morning. That's the way I did it for 25 years. For what it's worth, I do that here. In fact, last Sunday morning, if you'd have asked me what I was going to preach today, we would have gone further on. In fact, uh, it was interesting. Gabriel said, you're reading the same scripture as before. I said, yeah, I just saw more stuff in it. I just didn't want to move on. Last Monday morning, I started preparing my sermon for today. I do it with you as I did at Westminster Chapel. Well, in those days, I always started on Monday morning, but it was a busy week. I couldn't help it. It only happened once in 25 years. It was now Saturday morning, day before I had to preach the next day. I had no preparation at all. Hadn't cracked a book, hadn't read the Bible. At least on that sermon, I, did, I kept up my Bible reading. I will say that. I do that. But no preparation. And I just said, I remember it was 9 o'clock. Lord, please, let there be no interruption today. Nobody knocking on my door. Nobody phoning. And about that time, Louise and I got into an argument. In Kentucky, we would call it a dandy. Do you know that word? I'll increase your vocabulary. <laughs> well, well, if you want to know, she was horrible. <laughs> I slammed the door. Those were the days before I got spiritual. <laughs> Go to my desk. Here's my Bible. Blank sheet of paper. Now, Lord, give me something for tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus, uh, deal with that woman. <laughs> oh. 11 o'clock, blank sheet of paper. 12 o'clock, Lord, please help me. <clears throat> Two o'clock, I was in a state of panic. Lord, you know that what I preach tomorrow is going to go all over the world. You've got to help me. 
utter silence, except I could faintly hear a voice that said, really? <laughs> Three o'clock, four o'clock, blank sheet of paper. You see, I was waiting for her. I climbed down. I can remember going into the kitchen. There she was. I remembered as though it were yesterday, standing next to the refrigerator. She was tearful. I said, honey, I'm sorry. It was all my fault. Well, it wasn't all your fault. It was partly my fault. I said, no, it was all my fault. And I am so sorry. We hugged, we kissed. God is my witness. I went back to the same desk, same blank sheet of paper. Thoughts began to pour. I could not write them fast enough. In 45 minutes, I had everything I needed for Sunday. You see, you can accomplish. Uh, you can accomplish a lot more in five minutes when the Spirit comes down than in five years when you're trying to work it up and pretend something's going on. Well, all I know is in 45 minutes I had everything I needed. And it could be that maybe someone here climbed down. Climb down. A hundred years from now you'll be so glad you did a hundred hours from now, you'll be glad you did it. That said, I want to talk to you now about the sovereign will of God. God is sovereign, and He actually has a will of His own. You see, the opposite to this teaching, uh, for you that are somewhat theologically minded, there is a teaching abroad uh, you may or may not have heard of it. It's called open theism. It's the idea that God is open. He needs input from us to know what to do next. Now that's the opposite of what I'm teaching today. Listen to these words from Ephesians 1 verse 11. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. God has a will of His own, and He's got an opinion. And you need to bow down to that opinion. This teaching of the sovereignty of God, in my opinion, may be the most needed and neglected in the church generally, and dare I say it, with Pentecostals in particular. I'll tell you this. I'd been at Westminster for 23 years, and for some reason, I don't know why, I began to think, how long shall I stay? I kept hoping revival would come, and then we would go back to America. It didn't. I thought, I'll tell you what. I'm talking to myself. I'll stay 25 years, and then we'll call it quits. Go back. 25 years. Now, I thought, oh dear, what am I going to do? Nobody in America knows me. I don't have a future. We would have Social Security and little retirement. 
I thought, I will become a recluse and fish 25 hours a day. And I, that sounded kind of good to me. When all of a sudden, I was not expecting this. Clear as I'm looking at you, a voice. Your ministry in America will be to charismatics. Please, Lord, don't let it be that. <laughs> I said, no, please, let it be to evangelicals. I have what they need. I know how they think. I've got the credentials. Please, no, charismatics. The last thing I wanted. Turns out 80% of my invitations are to charismatics and Pentecostals. And the reason that charismatics need this teaching is that almost no pastor among them believe it. In this church, we have an exception, Colin Dye. He believes everything I'm preaching today. That's why I'm here. That's why he wants me. And it could be that you've heard this a thousand times. It could be that this is somewhat new. Here's the definition of the sovereignty of God. It is God's right and power to do what he wants to do with anybody. That's it. God's right and power to do what he wants to do with anybody. You may have thought that only the Apostle Paul believed this. I just quoted from Ephesians. I quoted a while ago from Romans 9.15. But are you aware that Jesus had more to say about it than anybody? As a matter of fact, the reason I'm onto this today, the very reason is that I realize that in Luke chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus said these words. And when I saw that, I thought, I can't move on in this story. I've got to back up. Jesus said, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. In other words, in all of Israel, many, many had leprosy. God passed by the lot. You, well, these are his covenant people. That's right. He passed by the lot and then chose one in Syria whose name was Naaman. It shows not only was God willing to go outside Israel, but he chose one person. I want you to think about this. God sovereignly, willfully passed by his own covenant people and went to Syria and chose one. Why? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And you might like to know, I don't have time to go into this, this is the first time everybody tried to kill Jesus, right then. Yeah, keep reading in Luke 4. They want to push him off a cliff, kill him. Why? How dare he say God would not heal any leper? But he didn't. And Jesus is affirming the sovereignty of God. Or in case you didn't know this, here's what Jesus said in 
Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus chooses. Jesus chooses. John 5, 20. The, the Spirit quickens whom He will, and the Son quickens whom He will. This is part of the teaching. It's in Jesus. It's in Paul. And the thought of God passing you by, has this ever entered your mind? Have you ever thought, Lord, thank you that you didn't pass me by. Have you ever asked the question, why me? Why me? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, a Christian is a person who is surprised that he's a Christian. Surprised. Don't ever lose the element of surprise. You realize God just did it. You perhaps know of the hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. She wrote, uh, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And she was talking to prisoners one Sunday afternoon and quoting the verse, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, making the point that God could pass you by and a prisoner cried out in the middle of her talk, Oh Lord, don't pass by me. She went home and penned the words to this great hymn. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, Hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. God can. He's sovereign. And ask that he doesn't. Let me tell you, Three things are coming back to the church. Three. One, the fear of God is coming back to the church. Amen. Second, the preaching of the sovereignty of God is coming back to the church. Amen. And third, healing. Healing is coming back to the church. Amen. Well, now, God who predestined the end also predestined the means. You see, look, Elisha could have stayed inside the house and just healed Naaman 50 feet away. Or he could have walked out and just said, you're healed, and go back in. He could have done it that way. For some reason, it's only happened once. But he said to Naaman, by a message, go to the River Jordan and dip yourself seven times. The most ridiculous advice anybody ever heard. And this is when Naaman says, I will not. But then his servant said, it's a small thing God is asking you. And so what happened was, he goes to the River Jordan. First 
Six times he dips, he feels like a fool. It's not even getting better. You know, if you get a little better along the way, oh, this is good, I can't wait to see it the next time. He felt nothing. But the sixth time, the sixth time, he thought, whoa. His skin was like that of a little boy. I never will forget when our first grandson came along, Toby. And they handed Toby to me, and I hugged him. The first thing I thought, how smooth is a baby's skin? And you know, now he's nine years old, it's still smooth, and I'll take Toby, and then now Timothy's come along, and I will have them just rub their cheeks against mine. <laughs> and Timothy said one day, Grandpa, you need to shave. <laughs> but the feeling, you know, and here is Naaman can't believe it. And even though Elisha refused to come out and meet him, he said, I'm going to go back. I don't see him, I don't see him, but I want him to know, look, I'm healed. I am so thankful. That comes to the second point I want to make today. The spontaneous worship of God. What we see now was not forced, but voluntary and spontaneous. And of all things to come from the lips of a Syrian. You know what he says? Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Imagine a Syrian saying that. You have any idea of the rivalry between Syria and Israel? It's worse today. In Syria today, I, I don't know that I've got the statistics exactly right, but I would say 95, maybe 99% are Muslim. Can you imagine a Muslim in Syria today saying there is no God in all the world but in the God of Israel. It's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. And that's what happened. It means a change of heart. You see, this change upon Naaman was twofold. External, his skin. Internal, his heart. And he saw what he'd never expected to see. It's only the Holy Spirit that will enable a person to see this. That there's only one God. The God of the Bible. I don't know if any of you were able to get a glimpse of any of Billy Graham's funeral. I got to see clips of it. And, um, what do you suppose is on Billy Graham's tombstone? Do you want to hear it? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in this day when everybody, but everybody say, oh, it's all the same God. We're all going in the same direction. It's this one God. Wrong. I am the way, said Jesus. I am the truth, Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you need to make that crossover. I suspect there are Christians, hopefully none here, but you say, well, you know, I think other people, they're sincere. They're going to make it. Don't go there. Here's the offense. I don't care whether you're 
a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Muslim or Shintoist. There's only one way. I used to have, I remember well, a lady coming to me at Westminster Chapel, and on Sunday nights, she would come back to see me. She was a Hindu, and she would brag on my preaching. Oh, you are wonderful. I loved it. I loved it. It's just this is one thing. Do I have to say that Jesus is the only way? I said, yep. Oh, I don't know about that. Eventually, she crossed over. It's only the Holy Spirit that will enable you to do that. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, but God can do it. And that's what happened to Naaman. The grace of God flowed over into him, and he goes back to the man of God. And we see here now two things. Not only his healing, but repentance. I don't know if you would have picked up on it, but it says in verse 15, although Naaman had left in a rage, he went back to the man of God. That means U-turn. Change of mind. Climbing down. Do you need to climb down? Well, Elisha agrees this time to meet Naaman and it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Are you prepared to say that Jesus is the only way? Before I close, I want to talk to you now about being grateful. Naaman was so grateful. He was so grateful. Now, that's why he went back. And uh, you should know this too that the doctrine of sanctification, which is the teaching that we must be more and more like Jesus, follows being saved, but is really the doctrine of gratitude. The doctrine of gratitude, what's that? That is showing that you're thankful by a holy life. You don't do it to get to heaven, you're gonna to go to heaven. You're going to go to heaven. You can be sure you're going to go to heaven if you have transferred your trust and good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross. You're saved. Gratitude is saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And you show gratitude by a holy life, but you also show gratitude by telling him, thank you. Speaking of lepers, do you know about the story? In Luke 17, it was in my reading yesterday. I have a Bible reading plan. I hope you do. My Bible reading plan took me through Luke 17 yesterday. There were 10 lepers. They saw Jesus, and all of them cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. And he did. And they all were healed. How many of them do you suppose came back to say thank you? One. The other nine were still healed, but they didn't thank the Lord. One came back, and to let you know how much Jesus notices gratitude, do you know the only th comment he made? He said, where are the nine? All ten were cleansed. Where are the nine? 
that lets you know that God notices gratitude. He notices ingratitude. Well, there are actually two kinds of gratitude then. Spontaneous and gratitude that must be taught. Spontaneous gratitude, that is what happened to Naaman. He was so thankful. But then there's another level. And in my case, God has dealt with me in a very special, particular, and painful way. Let me tell you what happened. Way back, it was in 1986. I think it was April. I may not, I'd have to look at my diary and get the exact date. I can tell you the Sunday of the day because I, I keep a, a, a journal and I can tell you where I was. At any, you asked me where I was April 3rd, 1987 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I can tell you. It's just something I do. But I'll never forget preaching on this verse, Philippians 4, 6. We were in the book of Philippians. We got to chapter 4, verse 6. I'm just preaching another Sunday and it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, I had it in my notes to mention that, but I wasn't prepared. As I preached, never before or since have I had this conviction of sin on me as I preached. It was as if my whole life was just shown before me. I mean, in a split second, the Lord showed me one thing after another. Big things, major things that I hadn't thanked God for. And I just felt terrible. I thought, Lord, please help me to get through this sermon. I, I, I labored through to finish it because I said, if, I, if you help me to get through this sermon, when I get back to the vestry, I'm going to get on my knees and do something about this. And I did. And on that day, remember it so well, I made a vow to God that I will be a thankful man the rest of my life. And to prove it, I would go through that same journal every day and thank him for the things the day before. I've kept it up. I've kept that vow. I thank him for everything of yesterday. I start in yesterday morning, go through my diary, prayer time, thank you to the Lord, insights I get, thank you for that. And throughout the day, we had a special time with special friends last evening, and it was so wonderful. I thank the Lord for that and for this friendship and other things. I just thank him for everything. And, and when I realized that I was shown all these things over the years that I hadn't been thankful for, I was defensive. I said, well, Lord, you know I'm thankful. He said, but you didn't tell me. Well, Lord, you know everything. You know I'm thankful. You didn't tell me. And it taught me a lesson. And I tell him every day. And you can take this for what it's worth. But I promise you, if you'll take this seriously, don't let a day go by that you don't thank the Lord for the things of that day.
good things, where he's being good to you. Just tell him, tell him. Think of three things before you go to bed tonight. Just tell him. A year ago, the most respected medical institution in the United States, Mayo Clinic, came out with a bulletin. They weren't using the Bible. They weren't quoting Jesus. They were going by statistics. And the conclusion was, thankful people live longer. Maybe that will get you going. <laughs> Be thankful. Be thankful. So, there's spontaneous gratitude and gratitude that must be taught, and we take the time to thank him. Now, I believe fear of God is coming back to the church. I believe preaching of the sovereignty of God is coming back to the church, and healing is coming back to the church.